Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Avengers podcast. Uh, <laughs> here it is, Demetrius Gelatas with Josh Burble. How you doing, Josh? I'm great, man. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> so you went with the Burble podcast. Yeah, That's yeah. Awesome. I was yeah. going to, you know, I never know what to call our podcast. So, uh, if, you know, if, if our podcast it is. Yeah. Uh, so, we'll uh, get started. It's good to talk to everybody. And, you know, I've gotten some emails from some of the listeners and uh, some Facebook. You know, it's tough. I sometimes I get Facebook messages and I, um, I'm not. I'm not always the best because it's tough. I do these boot camps and I'm tied up for a few days and then uh, I don't always respond within 24 hours. So fair warning, I don't always respond within 24 hours, but they mean a lot to me. Don't think that because I'm training somebody, trust me, if you guys come out and train with me, you'll then it'll be your turn to have my undivided attention. But uh, it means a lot. So we've I really thank everybody that's reached out uh, to me and to Josh. So, But it's good to be back. How yeah, are you doing, yeah. Josh? It's good. Yeah, things are good, man. Cool. That's uh, that's deep. All right. <laughs> so, okay. So what's on our docket today? So we've got some good stuff. We are, we are going to kick it up, uh, kick it off with a couple brief updates. Uh, I want to give somebody, I want to give a few updates on my boot camps so that you guys know what is available, what's changing, what to do. And then we're going to tackle. Okay. So here's our lineup. We've got a listener question. So that's cool. We've got, and then we're going to talk. Oh my gosh. We, I have avoided this for two and a half years, for two and a half years. So if this is your first queued up podcast network bootcamp, then you're in for a treat because I have avoided this topic for two and a half years because I didn't feel it was safe for me to even start this conversation. What are we going to talk about, Josh? What are we talking about? Handicaps in pool. I couldn't even say it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what we're going to do, we're going to look at it from a couple different angles, though. We're going to try to look at some of the pros and cons of handicaps. We're going to explore our personal feelings about handicaps. And then we're going to look at it and see where some things are. So there's some nuances of how handicaps play out in competition that not everybody might see. And so we're, we're just going to talk a little bit about it. Then we actually have another listener question at the end, which uh, I think is going to be better at the end after having explored the because it, it doesn't quite relate but it overlaps some of the same themes with handicaps so that should be fun oh and then you had something you had a little something that you you haven't even told me about yet you haven't told me what it is you've got a mystery segment a mystery segment you're talking about the uh yeah yeah the, the e-bike thing yeah all you okay. said is something about e-bikes yeah. yeah teaser e-bikes we're gonna talk about e-bikes okay so we got the mystery segment i i think yeah excellent so why don't we start? And do you want to read the listener question this week? Why don't you go ahead? This whole thing? Yeah. Well, All let's right. see here. Maybe we just start from right there. From, from this to me? No, no, no. From I think. I think. Okay. Yeah. So this is, you got this through it through AZ Billiards. AZ okay. Billiards. Shout out to the, the peeps on AZ. I think it is a relatively non-controversial idea that a successful or ideal pool stroke is executed unconsciously. That is to say, a player relies on habits and procedures they have already adopted, and they are not thinking, italicized, about them in the heat of battle, parentheses. Until recently, I've thought of that. I have thought that, that the point at which a player begins to trust his process is right before he begins his final backstroke. Now I think this is too late. To me, the process of a successful shot starts while you are standing up visualizing the successful outcome, aiming, et cetera. Because the process begins here, standing up, I think this may be the point at which someone needs to give 
way to their procedures or they're unconscious. I think I've been waiting too long to turn off my brain. Carried to its logical conclusion, it would seem to me that if someone keeps their procedure the same for each shot, the time between when they decide to drop onto the shot and when they strike the cue ball should be relatively constant or at least very similar. What do you think about this? I think the physical routine of getting onto the shot gets a lot of attention, maybe rightly so, but the mental routine, I think it gets less attention. What are your thoughts on this? College Dave. Yeah, so Dave, and unless I'm unless I'm horrendously mistaken, uh, Dave is actually I met Dave at Derby this year, and uh, he's a heck of a player. He's going to be coming out and training uh, here in a gosh, I was going to say a couple of weeks. I think it might be like a month or two, uh, probably two months. I I don't even really know, but uh, in the next couple of months, we're going to be getting together on a pool table, so that'll be fun. So thanks for the question, College Dave. All right, so basically, I think the question has to do with you know, when should you go, like, you're always, you're thinking at the table, but then at some point you got to like shoot. And when does that shift happen where you try to go into flow, like unconscious mode? I think that's what he's asking. Okay. What do you think? I like what he's saying here about uh, when you're standing up, looking at it. I think my, the way I've, I've been thinking about that, like playing, um, I think that the shot gets visualized and then there's microanalysis, subconscious microanalysis that happens when you get down, but you're sort of, I think, what, unless I'm misunderstanding what he's saying or, or whatever, I think that my brain starts going off as I'm bending down to the shot. Like I think all my calculations and everything, including an actual visualization of where I'm hitting the cue ball, how the cue ball is going to react, where it's going to end up, everything happens while I'm standing. And then as I bend down, the brain goes off and it becomes more subconscious. Is that what he's saying? Yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's, that's what I've been And I think that thinking. he's saying that he used to do it a little later, like he would be down on the shot and then he would be kind of, then he'd be like, okay, now I got to just feel it from here. And I think, so yeah, and I've talked about this maybe, but just... Uh, I feel pretty strongly about this one. So I have a, you know, there's, you could say that pre-shot routine applies to a few things. He mentioned that uh, a lot of people focus on the way they physically get on the ball and that that gets a lot of attention, but that the mental routine like gets less attention. I a hundred percent agree with this. And I've said this uh, a lot of times. I actually think if there's a more important piece of the pre-shot routine, it is the mental side, not the physical, you know, checklist. So the way it works for me is this, you do your thinking, standing up away from the table and then you do your shooting down in stance at the table and in between what to me what the pre-shot is really about is it's about the transfer from the thinking stage to the shooting stage and it's also from the transfer I guess what he'd say of course is physically you're going from standing up to getting on the shot and there's a bunch of stuff that has to be done right about where your foot is or how you step and how you bend and where your vision center and all this but here's the thing is that if you play pool, uh, well, you know where Josh and I stand on fundamentals, like get down on the ball and shoot it in the hole. So, so basically the, for me, I call that the trigger. And I believe it's like during this pre-shot, what's the most important things to me are, is that you build a rhythm where you've trained your brain like a dog to go to sleep every time you, you execute your trigger. And so, so different players have different triggers 
you know, some players use an airstroke. So they're walking around looking at the shot. And then also they do like the vertical airstroke and stroke and get down the ball. And like they do it the same and that's their trigger. And you know that when you see a guy like that watching, you know, the table, as soon as they do that airstroke, you know, oh, you can just see them kind of like commit and start getting on the ball. Um, you know, the European players, they sometimes kind of pose with like their cue diagonal uh, in front of their chest or in front of their body. And they're kind of holding both their hands together at the right where the wrap ends. Um, they kind of touch their hands together and tilt their cue diagonally and address the table. So they might be moving quickly around the table. And then there'll be this moment where they look at the ball and kind of like come to a standstill and do the same thing. And then they drop and step into the shot. Like you'll see Federer do that. Niels does that. Uh, Samin Chan, just to name a few I can think of offhand. So, so what, and, and Billy Thorpe, you know, some people, uh, Billy Thorpe, Hunter Lombardo, or John Moore, I can't remember all of their pre-shots and some of them have evolved, but uh, a lot of, some people will set the chalk down. So they'll be chalking their cue and then looking at the shot, chalking their cue. And then as soon as they're good, they snap the chalk down on the table and get down on their shot. And so those are three examples of like triggers where people that do things the same way every time, where it's almost like that's their suggestion their hypnotic suggestion to their brain that okay i'm good now we can just go to sleep and so and it, and it's when you watch that it really feels fluid and rhythmic and i think that that's a pretty important thing is being you know it keeps you committed to the shot it keeps you so that you're not thinking while you're down on the shot and you have a clear plan of what to do and 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 it's yeah i think it helps all that and it makes sure you're not thinking during the shot about, you know, switching tip positions or how hard should I hit it or how far should I go on this shot and all these different things. So, okay. Yeah. What do you think about the trigger idea or the rhythm idea? I mean, we've probably talked about this just between us. Yeah. Well, yeah, we have like, uh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm shooting, I'm shooting. Like I did that for a while because I didn't really have a pre-shot routine. And I, every time I tried to get one, I would just, it just absolutely murdered me. I just couldn't do it. Um, but you had talked to me about you know, that, and that's something that I came up with, not came up with, but I followed through with, or I used as a mantra, just, just practice that a little bit while I was playing. Um, so yeah. Yep. I, I just think my takeaway from this conversation is I've spent a lot of time thinking about, um, how am I prepared to deliver my cue accurately and to the best of my ability. And it is to be standing and planning and visualizing, and then not having doubt, like not having doubts about that. So if I can get into a spot where I can actually see what I'm trying to do and I'm comfortable and I believe I can execute that shot, then I'm, then I'm good to go. And the, and the result is usually pretty good. Um, so I don't know what, what triggers there necessarily dumb, but the yep. act of bending down, like, I think like yep. getting on the shot. And, and I think that, um, you know, when I work with people, this is something I definitely work on because they're what I've seen with free shots is, a, I mean, there's people that aren't consistent. It doesn't break down when they're feeling good and they're comfortable. It breaks down when they're not comfortable and they're under pressure and then their rhythm changes and their accuracy changes and, and they, and they, their decision-making gets less clear. So, so to me, a pre-shot that works most of the time is, is might as well not do it at all because if it doesn't carry you through when you're feeling the worst, then it's like, you know what I mean? It's that's yeah, when it breaks yeah, down. Yeah. So when I work with people though, there's so much stuff out there. There's so many things where people have these checklists of what they're going to do with a shot. So to boil it down really, really simple, I just call it the waltz where there's three rhythmic pieces. And the first part is the pre-shot trigger. So you're, you know, you're walking around the table and then when you're good, 
you kind of do your trigger, you know, you do your airstroke or you do your address. And then you get down to the ball and you lock in your aim and tip and, and you get your practice stroke so that your aim and tip and your aim and tip are in the right spot. And then you get real good there and you go ahead and pause next to the cue ball. And that's your second checkpoint is that pause at the cue ball. And then from there, it's a nice, smooth, accelerating swing. So it's like pre-shot, cue ball, pause, swing, you know, trigger, pause at cue ball, swing, trigger, pause at cue ball, swing, trigger, pause at cue ball, swing. And for people, even quick players, and I've, I've seen this, it's like, if you work in just, just those little checkpoints and it's not about time, it's just about working in those little checkpoints, you know, trigger when you're committed to the, you know, the shot standing up, cue ball pause, you know, when your tips right at the cue ball, when you're kind of locked in on the shots, getting down and then a nice smooth swing. That rhythm is really smooth. And instead of telling people to try to, you know, manage 20 steps in different phases of the shot, which is like, good luck with that. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is something where people could just count it out. They could be like one, two, three, one, two, three. And they can start feeling the rhythm right away and getting into it. Uh, and then I had one person that was kind of funny that was sometimes he'd skip one of the steps and I'd be like, Hey man, you know, I'm asking you to count the three. Like, I'm not asking for anything great. I'm asking <laughs> you to count your five. You know, nothing ridiculous like that. Like, we're going to three here. Yeah. But it's actually really cool. And the funny part, I didn't even tell you this. Like, when we started doing a particular drill, it was a 15-ball drill. And when he first started it, it was like one, two, three, two, one. Like, the number of balls he was running was like, he couldn't get past two or three. Uh, and there was a lot of misses. And then when he started getting into this rhythm, I don't think he ran the table, but it was like, a really good 13 ball run in this drill. Mm -hmm. It was not an easy drill for him. Yeah. And so it was like, all of a sudden it came together and it was like, boom. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's like, it's like when the, the magic guy shifts into 3d and obviously like, jumps out at you. Like, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, that's my advice about that would be the three part rhythm. Keep it simple. Yeah. But then a word of warning about this, the problem and the irony of all this is that our goal is to try to minimize brain activity. And so you have to be careful about like overthinking how we try to stop thinking, because it's like, this is, there's a lot of thoughts in this, and this is good conversation, but like, well, I ran into that. Demi. Tell me, like I, I ran into it. Like you were trying to help me with the pre-shot routine and it just got real clunky and it got <laughs> real lost in it. And it just killed me. It just made pool not fun for me. And I was like, well, if it's if if this is the way pools played, then then I I guess I'm just not interested in playing this way. At least with where where I was at in my life at that time or whatever, that's it. Like some people, I think, you know, Europeans or certain American players, they have very, very powerful narratives where they're just driven to to perfectionistically get this mechanical process down. And for me, I'm not that way. I'm not that way with fundamentals. I'm not that way with the game. I'm a hand-eye coordination guy and kind of a, a feel guy. And so, so for me, it doesn't speak to me to, and I would get, I would run into what you were just talking about, like where I tried to get too mechanical or too um, trying to shut off my brain too intentionally. And it just, it didn't work for me. Now I could see, I know that people that that doesn't work for everybody the way that I do it doesn't work for everybody so I but but I can speak to what you're saying because because it doesn't work for me and I and uh but there are players I could see um that are more mechanical more analytical more engineer type thinkers like that could work perfect for them you know and I have done some things where I've read the inner game of golf and you know back hit and things I've tried that at certain times to, to get into the self one self two stuff but but uh in general, it can be trappy for the, for people that are 
a little bit more feely, um, it can be trappy to get, and, to get and into I this. remember that because that was probably oh, four years ago or so because it was like turning stone of like 2018. I remember we were talking about it. And that was before I was really coaching, right? That was like, you know, so back then I was, I was talking about the trigger. And I think that's probably why I've evolved because I've really, I'm a minimum necessary force kind of guy. Like the less we mess with stuff, the better. Uh, and I really believe pool is not like sculpting where you're assembling more and more crap. It's like, no, it's about whittling. It's taking out everything you can, except for the very few minimalistic structures that we need to keep our game flowing smoothly. So adding some big welded piece onto your game is not going to work, but like whittling stuff away um, can be better. And so instead of adding a pre-shot, it's more like eliminating, eliminating the tendency to jump down at a shot without being committed. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's yeah, not, we're not yeah. adding stuff. We're taking stuff out. Yeah. And that's what I tell people too, with it's always less. It's always less. It's always less. The break shot is less than you think. It's the, every hard shot, the draw shots are less than you think. Like everything is, as you get really deep in this game, the answer is never, I've never once have I had something not working for a while. And then I'm like, Oh, I just really needed to jam my cue a lot harder at that. That now it works. It's like almost never has that ever yeah. been the answer. Yeah. And it's the same thing with pre-shot. So Absolutely right. And that's why I've really gone to this waltz because to me, it's like, I've, I've found like, what are the minimum things that we can do that kind of help people through that path without trying to be like adding big clunky parts to their game. And that's why these long checklists and stuff about how to step into shots and we you don't know now is what time. So that's why when we're getting to like thinking about all this stuff, it's like turning your brain off, like telling yourself to turn off your brain is, is a weird thing, you know? So, mm -hmm. so in the end there's, and there's something else too, which is you should be minimizing brain activity even while you're thinking at the table because it's like thinking as think as quietly as possible and then get even quieter when you get down to the ball and the less heavy thoughts the better and i'm a, i'm an analytical player and I, I think a lot at the table but i try to think quietly softly and i understand that it's i wouldn't say it's the enemy but it's certainly not the, the, the solution to pool is being really smart and thinking really you know using a bunch of you know, being, you don't want to be like tickled pink with your own analytical prowess where you're like, now I'm going to figure out which side of the ball I want to be on because I'm a thinking players. Like, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> like you just have to kind of be like kind of quiet and humble and try to think as minimal as possible and then get even quieter when you get down the ball. So. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> I could beat anybody in here. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. There's a, there's okay. a guy that we, we know and he, he stood up in a pool room full of people at, at a tournament he's like i will play anybody in here yeah, yeah kind of a nasally voice it was funny <laughs> uh, gets, all right all right so and why don't we oh i've got to do a quick this is really quick uh mn pool boot camp so three-day boot camps i run here uh if you haven't heard about them check out my website mn like minnesota mnpoolbootcamp.com uh, i've got to edit my website because I'm okay. Another thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the people that have come to see me and all the people that have called me and reached out to come see me. Um, I am blown away. I just, I don't know what to say, but uh, as a result, I, I am actually booked for 2022. Um, and so this is incredible. I, um, I added, you know, I just, I guess it's my third year in business and good things have happened, but I added a calendar like a couple months ago to my website because it was starting to get so, you know, I wanted to kind of give people some notice as to when my next available was so that people could not get too emotionally invested until they kind of saw when, I, you know, make sure the schedule could fit. 
But then even since the calendar was added, now I've booked out for the year. And, um, and so now I'm concerned, you know, I don't want people getting, you know, disappointed, I guess I don't have anything immediate available. So what my plan is, and I'm telling everyone, I'm going to update my website shortly. And I'm going to make some adjustments for 2023. Uh, I'm going to start getting into some some two on ones, uh, which I think are going to help in a couple ways. Uh, it's going to make my session available to people with at a lower price point if they're willing to share uh, the the session with one other person, which I think is a phenomenal size. Two on one's a great size. You get plenty of one on one time, but you also can learn so much watching somebody else have breakthroughs or struggles with the things that you're going through. Uh, it's it's and it's almost like a it's a really like bonding lifelong kind of cool experience um so anyway I, and that's going to make things available to people at a little bit lower price point and it's going to help with demand a little bit so i'm going to be doing some two-on-ones i'm also going to be doing a few smaller groups as well uh so i'm going to try to do some things to help meet demand but what i'm going to do is i'm not opening up any spots on my calendar yet for 2023 because it's just, just a little ways ahead and josh and i are working at a club and we've got some stuff that we need to have I just need some resolution on a couple of things before I can start committing to my, you know, being, you know, six to 18 months out of schedule. But in the next few months, I'm going to be opening up 2023 and, and I'll have some different options than what you see on the, uh, my website at this current time. So I should have those updates done, you know, somewhere in the next two to four weeks. Then for now, if anybody's interested then feel free to email me because what I'm going to do is I'm going to be kind of taking like a waiting list. So uh, if people email me and want to get, you know, want to be at first contact as far as 2023 goes, you know, whether it's two, three months out when I do open up some new spots, uh, people that have emailed me and expressed interest are going to, to be on a waiting list. You guys will be at the top. So I won't even make those spots public. I'll reach out to everybody on my waiting list first to show them what's available and see if we can get those guys scheduled first um, and just, do that. So anyway, that's where I'm at. And I, a little, little update. So, uh, I'm sure I'll have more to come on that, but that's where I'm at. So thanks again. Um, uh, my goal, my goal is simple. I want to help anybody that's passionate about pool that wants to work with me. I want to help. And so things will keep adjusting as I find ways to do that, but okay. And you're awesome at helping people. So that's it, thanks, man. Josh. Yeah, I uh, I was gonna do something about uh, coaching and and uh, with my kid and seeing the difference. And so I'll just I'll hit it in like one minute here. Um, so my wife is a therapist, right? Marriage and family. So she sees a lot of a lot of marriage issues. So she'll come home once in a while and she'll just be like, "Hey, thank you. You know, just thank you for not." doing XYZ awful thing that she hears about in her work. And uh, I was around my kid and he's playing baseball and he's playing hockey and I'm seeing coaching. And I just think about Dem a lot when I see coaching and I just think, Hey, thanks, Demi. Thanks for being such an awesome coach, man. Like I see, and, and these guys are volunteers and I get it and they're doing the best they can and stuff, but, and, and I'm not trying to dog out my kids coaching by any stretch. I appreciate it. And you know, whatever I just, it's like you see the difference right and so when I see the way you are with how you help people and how much you care and how much you give to to your students and to to people that are checking in with you and it's just it's awesome man and and uh it's just great you know because uh 
I've seen the other side of it and, and, uh, and I, but I see your side of it too, where I watch you and how you interact with your students and what you've helped me with over the 10, 15 years we've been hanging around. And it's just awesome, man. So I would just encourage anybody to, uh, if they're, if they check in with Demi and they feel like they're a good fit to like, you will not be disappointed. He is a witch. He's just magical. And, uh, it's very, 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 uh, extraordinary what you do with students and people so that's thank, it. thank you josh thank yeah. you very much and again thanks to thanks to everybody okay i if man if it gets any more loving in here i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna i need to go like uh use some of that you know what i was yeah when i bought paper towels last time i, I got the brawny paper towels because they had the big lumberjack yeah, yeah, and i told cool. my kids i'm like some once in a while like right now I, i'm gonna go peel a brawny paper towel because sometimes you need something a little bit to you know anyway okay so <laughs> all right um so what was next we're gonna get into handicaps this is no 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 e-bike we better do oh, okay e-bike. We'll do so e-bike if we don't thing. do that now we're never gonna do okay it. So, okay e-bike so here's I want the, the mystery e- segment here's, okay here's the e-bike situation i this is such a good learning experience for me demi i realized that i can just be an absolutely raging asshole and e-bikes made me realize that because <clears throat> e-bikes have been around what three four years something like yeah, that five years, i've only maybe. been finding out about them in the last couple of years, last couple right? years they've yeah. really taken off in the last couple of years but like i'm always sneering at people with ear bikes e-bikes because i'm like oh why even have a bike so it, just in case not everybody knows why don't you tell it's an electric pedal assist bike so it's, so it's a so bicycle it's not a it's not, not a, a motorcycle it's not a motorcycle it's not a bike it, it does pedal assist so how to, for for somebody that's you know I was gonna, I was gonna try to backhand you, but no. For somebody that has never used an e-bike, what, what exactly? How does it assist? Well, I, I, it's just there's a, there's an electric motor on it, and it just helps you pedal the bike. Oh, so as you pedal, it's like, it's like reduces the resistance. Exactly. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Put yes. this first with handicaps too. Oh my goodness! I'm, I'm rubbing my hands together right now. If you can't hear it, so I look at e-bikes, and I've just always looked at them, just sneering, like because okay, so I like cardiovascular work i run really far at times and i run often and, and if and sometimes i'll run and then i'll bike and you know on the same day and shit and it's like so and my brother was into biking like he got me into biking so now i own a couple bikes i own like a fat tire and i own a gravel bike and now i'm not into biking but i mean i biked for for the exercise basically and and i would see e-bikes in pedal assist and i see people riding them and i'm like what do you why even have it like what are you doing like why what you know it's, yeah yeah it's just, and, and i just and so for the last two three years all i've done is like look down and sneer at people with e-bikes and then i realized the other day what an asshole i am because i realized wait a minute not everybody is riding a bike to like conquer some sort of fitness goal or to like prove something to themselves or to like hit some sort of calorie deficit or whatever it's like, it's it's like, like you you like without even thinking about it you just projected a universal narrative on everybody that everybody that bikes is doing it for fitness and personal challenge and then they were they just all happen to be cheaters <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so then it, it like it took all that away like i like i put, <laughs> like it took all that personal challenge and everything away so that i'm just like i'm monkey tilted by e-bikes for for years for the last couple of years and then for, finally Irene and I were going rafting for her birthday down in Cannon Falls. And uh, we're going to get on the raft and we're walking to the raft thing. And this guy comes pedaling by on his e-bike. 
and he's just smiling and happy. And I started sneering and then I stopped myself and I thought, he's having fun. He's having fun. <laughs> it's a beautiful day. Like there's literally, he could be looking at the trees and being out in nature. There's so like many other cycle for fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's, there's, I just, it's, it sounds, I'm so stupid to even talk no, about no, no. this, it's but really it's, interesting like, it's just yeah. so funny. Cause I was like, it finally occurred to me after years and years of, of feeling like, like that, that like, I just called myself on. I'm like, what an asshole. Like there's a world out there where you can do something without trying to crush. And so I thought it related to pool dummy because I just thought, what's my e-bike and pool like how are we e-biking pool like how are we looking at pool in that way where 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 like for me like how am I taking pool and like strangling the joy out of it and making it all about uh what I accomplish or my Fargo rate or this or that or the other thing it's like can, can I just play pool like people e-bike? I can at times, yes. And, and I'm getting more to, to that in my life. And, and that's where my, my path is right now. It's, I'm more of an e-biker with, with pool than I am, uh, you know, an ultra marathoner with pool. So I, I just, it all sort of like hit me. And I thought about you and I thought about the podcast and I just, I just wanted to bring it up. You yeah, know? you know, that's the where, where I kind of remember because there, and there is something circular, like in the beginning when we first start playing pool, like nobody gets the pool bug the moment they hit their first pool ball. You know, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Most people go through a phase where they're like learning to make the bridge and hitting open balls. And it's hard to get hooked on the game when you can't even form a bridge. So it's like most people, I've heard stories of people that walk by and look into a building and see pool balls hit and like, oh, that's for me. But like most people, I think, have a recreational phase where you learn how to hit balls around. And, and so you're first introduced to the physical game and you play it at such a low level that there's just not a lot of joy to be had other than just laughing around and having fun with your buddies and watching balls bounce around. And then somewhere along the lines, a couple of things happen. You develop just enough skill to start to see down the road of what pool could look like and what skills could be developed and how it can look and how these interesting challenges can be, you know, skills can be developed to overcome them. Uh, and at the same time, you start hanging out with other people, usually the people that demonstrate those skills, and you and you learn that there's this other world of like, you know, there's this pool journey where you can develop skills so that you can physically excel, but that there's also this journey through this pool hierarchy of like self-improvement and, and and there's there's great players that are getting respect and admiration from other players and there's people that are winners and there's people that are, you know, dominant and there's people that are like, you know, werewolves in London either way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's like there's there's both like this this like wow, you can actually like be somebody by playing this game and you can develop skills that, that are really like this game is far deeper than I thought it was. And so as people get exposed to those worlds, they can kind of lose the, you know, they can get the bug and they go from being kind of recreational players that are just playing to have a night off and hang out with their buddies or whatever, something to do once in a while. And they start becoming like, you know, real amateur, you know, you know, players like where they have an amateur career, you know, they start pursuing growth. And, and then you can get so far down that road that, that you can forget what the game was when you first played it. And so, and so that's where, like, I know that the e-bikes, like when I look at players that are like guys that are just playing recreationally, I, I don't look at it like, oh, you guys are fish. You guys can't play at all. <laughs> like, I don't think about it like that. I'm just like, oh, these guys are enjoying the game in a totally different way than I do. Uh, but not the way I, not the way I play pool, but I'm glad they 
are having a good experience with it. You know, like, so I guess that would be like the, first of all, that would be like the e-bike thing would be like watching people at a pool hall that are drinking beers and joking around with their buddies and two people that don't know anything tra- teaching each other how to play. And actually you should hold the cube like this. And you watch how he's t- coaching like, they're having fun with it, you know? And yeah, it's funny. Cause when I think about that situation, I don't sneer at those guys. Like I'm excited mm. for them and I encourage them and I I'm glad that they're playing. I don't know. It's yeah. Just, yeah. But, but at the same time, I, but the e-bike thing and with pool, even when you were just talking there, Demi, I just thought about my, like I saw the color of money and I immediately wanted to play and fell in love with the game and was like, that's what I'm going to do. And, and, uh, and ever since I've started playing, whether it's pool or golf or anything fitness related, it's all been like strangle, strangle, strangle. It's just, <laughs> it's just like, you know, it, it, it's just, I don't know, man. So it's like you have the e-bike. Can you set the e-bike on reverse to where it has extra resistance to every pedal? Yeah, yeah, Josh exactly. will just do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's like I did that one race on my mountain bike in a yeah. sweatsuit. You know, I did a I did a race once where I went with a guy and I made it harder by what I wore and the bike I rode. And it's just, yeah, I did. That's how I'm wired. That doesn't that 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 to me, I've it's like you look at the monster become once in a while with the e-bike thing, and I'm like, ah, oh, shit, man. But uh, but it's good. It's good to see it. And, and, you know, I'm not, it's not too late to make corrections and try to feather in some, some normalcy or a little bit healthier outlooks. But yeah, the whole e-bike thing made me realize about comp being competitive and how, how it drive, how it really, you know, it yeah, becomes, yeah. it, it just becomes your way where you don't question it. You don't think about it at, at times, you know, you just, and that's why I think yeah. with the eight, you know, with like the, the league players versus like, like the recreational players versus the serious players, like, I think that you have to go from being recreational to being serious, but then at some point, it's, it's, when I say you can get too serious, that doesn't mean you don't play your ass off. That doesn't mean you don't try hard. It doesn't mean you don't practice. It doesn't mean you don't push yourself. It doesn't mean you don't have goals. It doesn't mean that when you, you sometimes you have to push yourself to do stuff you don't always feel like doing or get out of your comfort zone, all that. You can do all of that, but you can do all of that and still retain the, the, you know, you don't have to get too swept up and we've talked so much about narratives and stuff, but like you can still retain, I think it's like, look at Efren and you, and, or, and you can see a guy who's like playing as hard as you can play, but still kind of like not quite losing just that a guy at the table hitting balls around and having some fun, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think there might be a way to be like, kind of keep your competitive and still keep your e-bike together you know i think so yeah and yeah, i yeah. think that's the right the mix at least for me there's plenty of people that absolutely hate their life to just you know grind 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 and i'm not saying that if, if you're going to measure it in terms of barbell rate or high run there's other ways to achieve effective results that that don't lead to happiness but just lead to results yeah. so if you're if all you care about is results and not anything else there's other ways to get results but for me i care about happiness is the paramount thing and then results can can support can, results can work as a pillar in some of the structure that holds happiness up but but i'm never going to sacrifice happiness to pursue results so the point is is that you don't have to so that's it mm. okay yeah e-bikes, e-bikes. e-bikes. well now yeah. yeah it makes sense although although okay we will put a little asterisk though with the e-bike people if there are e-bike people that are bragging about how far they bike with their <laughs> e-bike. e-bike yeah. So I I won't say who, but there's actually a person I know that has an e-bike and it didn't even hit me until you were talking about it because he was he was telling me about how he biked like 40 some miles the other day. And I was like, wow, 
I'm like, you know, when I was a kid, I used to bike a lot. I remember biking 35, 40 was pretty, like I was in good shape and biking a lot. And that was like, I probably weighed like 12 pounds. I mean, really, really, I was light. And I was like, man, I'm surprised. Like, that's a pretty good day of biking, man. That's impressive. And now I realize, I remember now he has an e-bike. So people that have an e-bike that then don't, that, 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 that start number dropping. Put on the Lance Armstrong gear and go on their e-bike. Now, now yeah. it's not. Those yeah. people, we will channel all the, all the, uh, all the scorn you had for all e-bikers, we will take it all and channel it at just those people. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now. Yeah. Cause I don't, I haven't seen people like that necessarily. <laughs> I just see happy people out there on their bike, you know, and, and they're just doing their thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Very cool. Yeah. It's cool, man. So all you e-bikers out there, go, go do your, do your e-biking. And, and you have Josh's blessing. You have my, yeah, exactly. You have my full support. <laughs> okay so let's see here all right well it was it was it was always going to be this way so why why would i start talking about handicaps because our last podcast we talked about how we were going to a tournament on bar tables that involved a handicap yeah. which is the first handicap tournament i've played in well over five years well no maybe i played a couple in 2017 18 but it's been a few years and i I didn't have any expectations. I was just like, well, let me just see if something's changed. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So spoiler alert, I'm not a big fan of handicaps, so I, I don't normally participate, but I'm like, well, I'll, I'll give this one a run. Yeah. So, and I, I, every, I, people that listen to the podcast, I think they know, like, I'm off pool. Like, I, I sold my table. I kept my cues. I played with Demi uh, mostly, uh, play with my friend Anthony once or twice, you know, every week or two, maybe a little bit with Brecky but I'm not really doing much with pool. And Demi asked me to go to the tournament with them and it's handicapped bar table. And I'm like, it doesn't matter if we were playing bumper pool. I just want to hang out with Demi. So I, we went together. It was fun. Yes. And let's see, how'd you end up doing Josh? Oh, Demi. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh made the finals Yeah. and, uh, and then the pool hall closed because of the hour it was. And so they were not able to play the finals. Josh would have had to double dip uh, the eventual winner. Uh, but as it is, he uh, he took second. So nice shooting, Josh. And you beat some good players along the way. Uh, who? <laughs> I'm trying to think on your way to the finals. I'm trying to remember if you played anybody like that was giving, you know, oh, shoot, that was right. Me. That's right. You <laughs> shot my, yeah, he shot my tail off. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, was good. That uh, was good. You, uh, you played well, man. You were hitting them ball. It was, it was fun to watch you hit some balls because uh, you're a hell of a player and it was fun to watch you hit a, hit, hit a nice smooth gear. Even if it didn't always feel like it, like, uh, you know, those, those tables were, you know, it was, it was, we haven't played a lot of bar pool lately. And uh, you know, there's always adventures when you go to a different pool room and, you know, the, it was, wasn't always perfect, but it was always fun. So, yeah. 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 So, so good shooting. So, all right. So that's why, so after that, that renewed my awareness, rekindled your awareness, rekindled my awareness of some thoughts on handicaps. So, be, so we're going to talk about the pros and cons. And of course, shout out to Jesse Engel, who hit me with the joke that there are no pros because of course there's no professionals in handicap pool, but okay. So the pros and cons of handicaps, uh, why don't we start with the positives? Because I have a feeling that if I don't make special effort, yeah, 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 exactly. I'm gonna run out. And we're okay. So let's let's dig deep now. I understand, and maybe maybe I should have gotten someone else that really likes handicaps, like Mike Page, 
to get on that could like, you know, Mike Page, for those that don't know, he's a Fargo rate inventor and uh, he's really big on handicaps and uh, he's a, he's a very sharp guy. And maybe if we really wanted to represent handicap tournaments, I would get somebody like that on that. Could, well, yeah, we can get the pros down though. So, okay. Hit yeah. me with the pros. Why should I not, why should I not only hate handicap tournaments? Why, no, <laughs> what, what are some good things? I mean, obviously well, I think like the standard answer would be, it gets more people involved in the tournaments. Like if you had non-handicapped tournaments, yes. it would get whittled down to a half dozen guys and eventually. And you'd have one or two people winning it week after week after week yeah. until, and they're just like, ha, 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 look at how good we are. And they're beating yeah. everybody else out. And then, and then nobody else, everybody else quits playing because they don't want to give money to that jerk every week. Yep. And we see this, this has happened again and again. And a lot of, a lot of tournaments quit running because of that phenomenon is that, two people would one or two people would dominate they would beat everybody else so often that eventually everything would die out and everything there's now there's nothing yep 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 so it gets bigger fields which is great for the promoters and for the bar owners or room owners because they need those larger fields in order to put the money back in and to make the tables available and everything they have to see good upside so larger fields um is kind of the main thing because it's a money-driven thing, right? Like the people that that promote want to have larger fields so they can either draw their sanctioned fee or, or get their spiff from the bar or whatever. And then the bars want to have larger fields because they want to, uh, you know, sell drinks, sell food and all that. So I, I think that's like the biggest benefit is just keeping the field size as large as possible. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I start losing my, I, I mean, maybe the next thing would be if, if someone thinks like there's some, I don't know, like, I guess with golf, it's more like people of different skill sets can compete against each other and can have that camaraderie and that competition without someone just getting ragged all every time. And I think that there's a, the, in the theory is, is that it's not about how good you are. It's about how well you, you know, what percentage of your best game are you able to bring this day? And it's a contest to see who can give their best today, as opposed to who's given their best in years past to develop a skill set. Yeah. Okay. Which is, yeah. Yeah. Which is, sounds good. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm trying, I'm really trying not to steer. <laughs> I'm like trying not to go full e-bike mode right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. trust me this is like every positive thing i say is painful it's painful oh my gosh yeah i mean those those are the i mean we should just google it and read it out loud <laughs> okay so okay so we got we, that's our we okay, got our flowers that was there, good we right? put it a good yeah, two minutes all right two minutes so so why is it so difficult now Demi's whipping wiping his cue down right now and he's got his <laughs> towel out he's powder on his hands he's getting ready to to run 300 here oh my gosh so where do we why don't you start why don't you okay, start? I'll start I'm because afraid, yeah, I'm afraid once I get going, man. It's... Yeah, because I'm probably is is yeah. Okay, okay. I hate them. I, I think they're. I I just I hate it. I don't I don't like anything about it. Like I I grew up. This is my back of my day, but it's true. It's like there was a handicap pool. I had to just go and play Louis Lemke every night that I could at some X Y Z pool room, or if it was gene low or all these guys right that were just like weekly grinders and i had to go do battle as like a 14 year old kid with with grown men that played near professional pool and i had to like grind it out against them playing sets to try to win a hundred dollars and in these tournaments and, and it was like four or five six times a week i would do that 
And if I was gambling, I never was trying to spot people or get spots. I just wanted to play. So I would just stay within my fences and then I would shot take and play people that are better and try to gauge my level of play based on that, not based on some sort of handicap or something. Yeah, and if you played, if you played a really, really good player that you'd never beat, and, and normally he would beat you 7-1, 7-3, 7-2, then if it went hill-hill and you lost, yeah, it sucks you didn't win, but like you took him to the hill. Exactly. And that, and that yeah. you don't have to win to make progress on your personal performance. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I don't have to. Yeah, and I don't need some sort of like help to, to get across the finish line. I, I just, I don't. I mean, I mean, that's not my mindset. That Even as a, a kid, like a child, it never even kind of crossed my mind. Um, and the only... Th- so, so that was kind of the way I grew up. And so I don't like it now. Like, I think I don't, you know, I, I think there's other ways to grow the game and have the fields work without giving everybody an e-bike, you know, it's like a pedal assist or whatever. It's like, I think there's ways to grow the game and to, to make the game fun. And, 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 and maybe it's divisions, you know, maybe it's divisions and instead of handicapping, um, because I, I just, I remember one time I, uh, I played Jimmy, right? And I was a kid, I was like 15 years old. And he gave me like a couple, like, I don't remember how many games I got, but I beat him and it meant nothing to me. Everyone's like, oh, you beat Jimmy and everything. You know, and I'm just like, it meant nothing because I'm like, well, he's handicapping me. So even at 15 years old or whatever, I was like, yeah, it doesn't, it didn't mean anything to me. So it's like, that's my perspective or that's my, that's, that's only how I'm coming from it. Now it's anyone, everyone can come from in their own way, but that's how, that's how I look at it. Um, I just think handicaps, I don't know, man, I just don't like them. I don't, I don't enjoy it. So, so I don't play them. Like I just, I just don't participate in that. You know, like I used to play a lot of leagues and they had handicaps with leagues and things. And I just, I don't play leagues anymore. I just kind of do my own thing or play play different tournaments or like and then what happens is I end up going to pro tournaments get my nuts shut off and you know and it's like it's a very difficult process but but that's a much more meaningful process to me rather than getting weight and or 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 giving weight and, and playing people it's just I don't know man I, I don't know Demi it's just yeah, it's just, yeah. So, I, I don't it doesn't sit with me I don't I don't like handicaps so, so I could yeah 100% feel the same way and I've and and that doesn't mean we're right. And, but, you know, so I'll just, but I'll share a couple thoughts as far as in general. Uh, and then I'll go into like how handicaps are for me personally. So in general, um, and, and one thing I want to mention too, is I have, I really challenge myself to adapt with the times because, you know, I could sit there and be like, well, I like it when I was a kid, it was done like this. It's like, yeah, well, things change. And, and for example, I, I remember when I first started playing on bar tables, and maybe I've told this story, but it was really, really difficult to be for me to play on bar tables because you know, I grew up playing nine foot and that was pool. I, mean, I, I don't want to say that was real pool, but like, I guess I've always kind of felt like that's real pool. <laughs> uh, that's what the pros play. That's what I, you know, that's what I've always played. And so when I first started thinking about competing on bar tables, it was really, really hard for me to want to do it. And what I had to tell myself is I looked at it and said, the game has always been evolving, you know, 150 years ago, they didn't even have straight pool. It was, it was, they played 15 points and re-rack and 15 points and re-rack and then, or they played bulk line billiards before that. Then it was, then it was 
like straight pool without the break shot. And then it would turn into a straight pool with the break shot. But even then it was on 10 foot tables and it had ivory balls. And then they went to nine foot tables because that's what the compromise between the North and the South. And, and then they, then they switched from straight pool and then they switched to nine ball, but it was two foul push out. And then they went to Texas express nine ball in the eighties. And then it was like, and then that's exactly how it was when I started playing Texas express nine foot nine ball. And then after that, then it went to like, you know, the, the jump cues came out and, and I wasn't a big fan of that. Then the seven footer movement was got really big and I wasn't a big fan of that. I'm like, look, the game has always been changing. I can't sit there and say that for the last 120 years, every change in this game was positive because it made it how it is right now, which is perfect because I started playing. And then everything that's happened after I picked up my cue is degeneration and horrible, like, like 120 years of growth, and then nothing but degeneration. And what was the what was the point at which it was perfect? It was the point right when I picked up my cue and happened to join the game. Like that's a pretty self-centered view of how pool ought to be. So I try to talk myself into looking at pool as an evolution game. It's not, it's always going to be evolving and a champion has to continue to develop their skills. And part of that is adapting the new skills to play on seven foots in different games. So I try to be open-minded as much as I can. But none of that has to do, like all of those are different because all of those involve an equal contest. And so this is the first change, you know, with jump cues, people say, well, everybody can learn to jump. Yep, that's true, you know, whatever. But handicaps are different because now you're changing, you're taking out the uh, the equality piece of it. Um, so that's why I think this is different than just saying, oh, well, it wasn't that way when I was a kid. It's like, yeah, I can handle a lot of change, but this is a direction I don't like to see change. Um, so that was that was one one thought about that. Does that make sense? I should look at my nose here. Yeah, I like I like what you're saying, Demi, because it takes a lot of responsibility and like personal responsibility and reflection and and I think what you're saying is is good. Like and it, it challenges me to say the same thing, which is hey, like I'm sharing my thoughts on handicap. That doesn't mean that I get to like everyone needs to do what I'm doing or like I I dictate terms of how things need to go. I just am sharing my my thoughts on it you know and, and I think that the reason why it's kind of important for us to share our thoughts on it is because I, I think it's it's uh it's just been kind of assumed that this is the way it is and that this is the way it should be and that this is the best for the game and the best for everybody and it's like I, I don't I get to have an opinion you get to have an opinion and we're sharing our opinions and I'm saying I don't know if it's the best for everybody. I don't know if it's the best for the game. I don't know if that's true. I'm at least questioning it. And then I'm using my own experience to say, well, you know, pool's done a lot for me in my life and, and the, the journey that I had with pool. And if I was going back in a time machine and they had handicaps when I started when I was 13, I might not have ever experienced all the things that I experienced with pool because of... Yeah, if I'd been a kid when handicaps were around, I don't know if I would have had all of the awesome experiences that I had playing pool. Yeah. And, and the uh, challenges, the you, challenges that came about it. You might not you have know. had the same path. Yeah, and, exactly. and so, you know, this is, I was going to save this for the end because for this to really make sense, I'll have to give my reasons as to why I feel as passionately as I feel uh, about not, not having handicaps. But for me, it's a total non-starter, meaning I would, for people like, well, it's needed to grow the game. First of all, I, I disagree. Uh, I think that there's plenty of people that will agree with Josh and I 
And if we can get those, and so one of the reasons I'm doing this is, well, it's one reason is this podcast. So I'm here to share my thoughts with y'all and, and hopefully you can enjoy some of them. But another reason is, is that if I can mobilize a lot of people that feel like you and I, then it, you know, maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be the only thing around is handicaps. So uh, for people that are like, well, the game will die without handicaps. You need that to keep the game going. It's a tough economy. It's a different than it was when, you know, pool's not as big. If we don't do these things, pool won't grow. My, my response to that is I would rather cut off both my hands and never play pool again than, than ever play another handicap tournament. <laughs> so if that's your best argument is, well, if we don't have handicaps, then we just don't have anything. Well, then I, nothing. I will take nothing then. Yeah. I will take nothing, nothing, nothing. And, and I will tell you why in a minute, I will get into why I feel that strongly. So, but what I told Josh one time, we have the same thing with big table versus bar table. I was just thinking the same thing about and bar table pool. Yeah. The bar table pool is really big in our community and, uh, and there's not much nine foot anymore. And it's changed in the last 20 years. And so there was a time, Josh, we've mentioned when you ran some tournaments that were, you wanted to run some, some tournaments just to have some nine foot tournaments. And so you actually added some of your own money out of pocket just to put up added money tournaments that people could come and play. And non-handicap big table, 10 yeah. ball. Yeah. And, and so you added your own money. So you're competing to get your own money back. And uh, you ran a, a five of those events that I could, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I remember they did okay. And you were, you were thinking about doing it again, or even adding more of your own money, like a year or two later. And, and what I, and cause you were like, I just think that Minnesota players deserve an opportunity to play nice tournaments and that, that they should be able to play on, you know, nine foot tables and, and compete. They should have an opportunity. I just want to give people an opportunity. What did I tell you? Do you remember what I told you? He said something about, you should just take your money and just give it to them to hang around. No, or something no, like no. That, so, or so, yeah, exactly. So what I said is that if you have to add your own money, I said, Josh, I said the market, I said, we did have open handy, open nine ball, uh, nine foot tournaments. I said, and, and the market spoke and said they weren't interested. I said, basically nobody wanted to play them and that's why they don't offer them anymore. Yeah. And if you have to go into your pocket and add your own money to get people to show up and play, I said, then basically what, first of all, what happened is the first turnout, we had like 16 players, which was a decent turnout of the nine foot, you know, 10 ball. And, and, but, but half of them were like old timers that just wanted to come see what was going on and kind of relive the memories. Oh, well, just to be clear, we didn't have that many. We had eight at the most. There were always eight players. Oh, well, there were only eight. There were only eight. Yeah. Okay. And I, and just, okay. I'm just sharing because the reason why I'm saying that to me, it was nearly impossible for me to fill it. Like it wasn't impossible, but it was, it was a struggle every single tournament. Okay. And I had to drop the entry fee and I had to do these things and like, yeah, it was a, it was a disaster. People did not want to, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. so, and that's, and I know everyone's thinking, well, that's why we need handicaps and that's why bar tables are like, yeah, yeah, hold on. I'm getting to you folks next. Be patient. <laughs> so, uh, but the point is, is that I, there, there was a number of old timers that would show up and, you know, guys that were, had been around the game throughout the seventies and eighties that showed up just to kind of see what was going on and kind of reminisce a little bit and see each other again. And after the first tournament or two, the novelty wore off and it was like the same four or five guys, you know, it went back to exactly what everybody's concerned about. So all the pro handicap people would be like, yep, that's why. And what I told Josh, so he was thinking about adding more money and trying to run something like that again. And what I told him was, is that if you have to add your own money. To kind of, you're basically bribing people to show up if if they're not interested in playing on nine foots and and playing without a handicap and you have to add your own money i said you might as well go on to craigslist and put out an ad for like aspiring actors and that you'll pay everybody 50 bucks a day 
to just show up at this pool room and hang out with the pool queue in their hand and pretend that they are pool players. Because if you have to pay your own money to get to get a, a tournament filled up, that's basically what you're doing is you're basically yeah, driving people. You're basically hiring actors to pretend that they're interested in playing on nine footers. Because if, you, if you're not paying them to show up, they're not showing up. So therefore it's not really, there's really nobody wants to play. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a bummer, man. And so, so first of all, I, I recognize the challenge, but the, the point is, is that I would feel the same way about handicaps. If you have to, if you have to promise everybody a chance to win a tournament for them to show up and play, then I just feel like that's not really. That you're kind of bribing them too. You're yeah. kind of bribing them. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that was my point is it's just, it's a non-starter for me. I'd rather have nothing. And actually, if we had nothing, there's a chance that somebody would actually show up for a non, because you're not, what's, what's, it's, it's kind of the problem is, is that if you run these handicap tournaments, then people quit showing up to the open tournaments because why would they, because, you know, I'd rather show up at my, you know, one where I get three games on the wire. Why would I show up for the one where I don't, yeah. you know? So it's, it's really, you're, you're, you're hurting if we had zero handicap tournaments, there's a chance we could actually grow some of the maybe your maybe your tournaments would have filled up a little bit easier if there weren't handicap. If there wasn't something running well, on for up, sure they would. would there, where somebody could go get three games to seven on the yeah. okay. no, for sure. Yeah. So none of these are really my main point. I'm just kind of circling into the stuff that is more meaningful to me. These are all kind of like just warm-up. This is just my warm-ups. So of course we could talk about how how handicaps are never accurate you know what i mean how somebody's always underrated and people are always complaining about stuff and and then it changes the game from like who can you know it changes the game from who can perform to like who can sandbag who can sandbag and all that stuff so we all know that um you know i'm assuming that people have are have some kind of experience in handicap tournaments they already know all this but there's other things that happen and and so I wanted to talk a little bit about how handicaps have played out for me. They've played out for me differently than I think they play out for a lot of people. Because what happens is, is that I'm one of the better players in, in my area. So when I compete, I'm not, if there's 32 players in the tournament, I'm not the guy in the middle of the pack where sometimes I'm getting one game or sometimes I'm giving up one game. And a lot of times I'm playing even, and it's, you know, not, it's not necessarily decisive. It doesn't change the course of events that much. I'm the guy giving up like ridiculous handicaps that are that really, really, really change the flow of a set of pool. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to talk about two ways that they change the flow of the set of pool and where where some of these handicaps break down when you start talking about one of the stronger players in town. So the first one is something to do with the intimidation factor. And I'm not a very intimidating person. I don't try to be intimidating or anything like that, but I have a little thought experiment with, with, with a straight pool tournament where you have to give a handicap. So suppose there's a person, oh, let's just pick a name that's kind of somewhat common. We'll call him Tom. Okay, so I give Tom, let's say that the correct handicap is, I should, on paper, like if I actually had to play him 100 times, 50 points. Like, let's just say that for every 100 points I score, he's going to score 50. If we played all day long, I'm going to outscore him two to one. So the correct air quote, correct handicap would be 50 points. Mm -hmm. So the problem is, is that maybe when we first start playing, I only have to give them 40 points and I play really well and I win. So then the next time we play, they've adjusted and I have to give them 50 points to hundred, which should be a fair game. But the problem is 
he's intimidated by me because he knows he's seen, you know, he, I've beat him in the past and he knows I play well and he's feeling nervous and he doesn't perform very well. So I beat him again. So then I got to give him the next tournament. I ended up spotting him 60 points to hundred. So now on paper, he's supposed to be the favorite, but he just underperforms against me because he's nervous and oh, I beat him every time we've played and I'm, I'm, you know, somehow I still outrun the best of it. And then I give him 70 points the next tournament and I still outperform him because he still just finds a way to dog it to me. Because every time he plays me, he remembers how bad he played against me last time and how he can't, he's never beat me. And it's just so many things going on in his head. And all of a sudden the next tournament, I have to give him 80 points to hundred. <clears throat> and all of a sudden there's part of him where he's like, all I got to do is make 20 balls. I mean, I could be a snake bit ever and I, I can't help but win. Like mm -hmm. I'm not even nervous anymore. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden he's completely loses any nerves. He loses any intimidation and he plays well enough to where he had a pretty good chance of beating me with only 50 balls. And all of a sudden he gets to hundred. I'm at like 30, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, Oh yeah, that was easy. Mm -hmm. So the, the problem about it is like, it's like, you can't, there are situations where it's almost impossible to set a fair handicap in practice because if people are intimidated and if people are dogging it and nervous and having a hard time believing that, you know, having struggles with confidence and belief, then once, then you could adjust it, give them a lot of games and they'll still find ways to melt down. And it ends up until you give them so many games that they no longer struggle with belief. And all of a sudden it turns out that they're getting way too many games. And mm -hmm. now, and now for a guy like me, I have zero chance as soon as like, like I would have had zero chance 20 balls ago had they had more belief. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? Did I explain that somewhat? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the counter to it or what's the, well, it's just, it's a, it's a challenge that people uh, it's a challenge I'm because when, when here's the problem is when you have two players that are both middle of the pack playing each other, where one person's given up a game or getting a game or playing even those people aren't experiencing that dynamic. So if, if somebody is listening to this and they're in the middle of the pack with the tournaments they play in their experience, most of the time they're getting or giving one or two games. Mm -hmm. And so even if the, that handicap makes a difference in the outcome, it's not changing. It's not like if they're giving one game up to six against a guy that they usually beat, they're not like, I don't know if I can win. And if they're getting one game to six against a guy that is pretty, you know, maybe this guy is a little bit better than them, but they're close enough to where it's not like they're intimidated by the guy. So these are not changing the, the intimidation dynamics for them. They're just like, well, I'm playing guys that are around my skill level. If I have to give up a game or get a game on the wire, either way, we both knew we had a chance. So none of that really was affected by the handicap. Whereas for me, there's a lot of times people see my win rate and they don't realize that my win rate is that baked into my win rate was a fair amount of people dogging it and being intimidated. And that, and that once people, and if people just quit dogging it and being intimidated, they would be rated much closer to me than they realize. And that these handicaps are not appropriate because you're, you know, maybe for example, if I was supposed to give this guy 50 games to hundred or 50 points to hundred, you know, if that's, if that's the quote unquote fair handicap, the fact is that maybe the only reason I ever outscored him two to one is because he was so intimidated by me the whole time. Maybe if he didn't know who he was playing, maybe I would have only been beating him hundred to, you know, maybe hundred to 70 or something. Yeah. So like maybe, maybe the right handicap should have only been 30 points yeah. and that, and that actually even giving him 50 is still too many because once he realizes that it's not that hard to beat me, all of us, you know, so, yeah. so I'm just saying people that don't, people that are in the middle of the pack might not realize how that dynamic could break down for top players, you know? So when a top player tries to play in a handicap tournament, these are some of the problems and why 
uh, at least why I feel like things have not gone well for me in handicap tournaments. It's it's been pretty insurmountable at times. Mm-hmm. So that tournament we played at the Mad Apple, there was a kid. <clears throat> let's just say he was well. The handicaps went from like four to eight. Is that correct? Yes. On a bar table, and you were an eight. And let's just say there was a kid that was like a four. Are you? What I wonder? Are you saying that? This might be a separate topic or different idea, Dem, but I'm trying to find out because I thought you might have said something like this. Is there a, or maybe this is what I gleaned from what you just said. Is there a point at which you can give a guy that's very, very novice player on a bar table, you can give him, he can get so many games that the intimidation is gone and he feels like he's at an advantage and then he's, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's, like you can make this, this, yeah, this yeah. spread so far. So there's the game so far. There were definitely people that, you know, that it's it, okay. So the, here's another way of saying it. If, if I play someone one pocket and you play to whoever gets eight balls first, if I'm beating that person, eight, one, eight, three, eight, two, eight, three, eight, one, eight, zero. Okay. I've beat them five games in a row and they never even got the four. Well, if that person said, well, here, give me four, four balls play me eight to four. I got to get four balls before you get eight. And I'd be like, that seems like a big handicap. They're like, well, I've never even gotten past three. What's the difference? You would have still won every game. Only a complete idiot novice gambler would say, oh, okay, that makes sense. Because the problem is the reason you never got past three is because you needed all eight. And so there was, you were playing for eight and you were making decisions that needed eight and you were up against it and you were stuck three games and didn't know if you could win and you know up against it against a good player. Whereas if all you got to do is make four balls, it, it doesn't just change. It doesn't, it, it doesn't work that way. It's the same thing with no limit poker, uh, no limit poker. If somebody has 75% of the chips, they, they also have things that they can do with their stack that because, under, of, the chips, because yeah. of the chips. It's like more chips makes more. I mean, rich people can make more money investing yeah. than a poor person can make because the poor people can't get in on the best deals. They don't have enough money. It doesn't work that. So it just doesn't quite work that way. And so, yes, that played out. It played out in the tournament for sure. Uh, I was an eight and you were a seven. And the funny part is, is that, uh, which I think is, you know, of course we think is a joke because Josh and I play even. Uh, so it's just, it was just off Fargo rate. And my Fargo rate at the time was over a magic number that shifted me to an eight. And so that extra game mattered. I mean, there was, I had, a, because I had a lot of matches in a row where yeah. it came down to that, that game made a difference. And it's like, cause uh, when yeah. I played the kid though, like it was a four, yeah. I feel like, he's got he's uphill yeah if i had to, if i was an eight i would have felt i would have way different experience yeah I think, and, and so know? and he would have felt differently probably too so that's the first part i wanted to talk the other part about my personal experience with this tournament was i felt that i basically it's weird that i felt this way but i really felt like i didn't really get to play and the reason i say that is because i could play as good as i can play and it didn't that was how well i played meant nothing to the outcome of these matches. Mm -hmm. I was giving up such big handicaps that what it came down to was if my opponents dogged it or if they didn't die. Mm -hmm. So if my opponents, like I'd start off and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be giving up four games to eight against some guy and I'd start off really good. And I'd win like, you know, five out of six games or something to tie it up at five a piece. And then 
from there, it's an even race to three, but now they're, now they're expecting that they're going to lose, but all of a sudden they get a, a one ten combo and they go up six, five at a race to eight. And then all of a sudden I finally dog a ball, or maybe they, they get a, or, or they have a, we have a moving game at, at, you know, on the five ball and they're able to get the first shot. And all of a sudden it's like, well, if they run those five balls out, then all of a sudden I'm down seven, five and I got to win three in a row and they're on the hill and I don't have any room. And you know, so it's like, and, and what basically what I would say is for me, I could play great, but if they, if I need, it wasn't enough, I could play as good as I can play and I couldn't win unless they played terrible. Like I needed them to, I really needed them to choke. Like basically every match set after set after set, my opponents had chances to win. And then I would just have to sit back and hope that they choked. And sometimes they did. And then sometimes they did. Mm -hmm. And so it was basically like how it felt to me was I didn't even feel like I was there playing pool. I felt like I went, drove out to Wisconsin so I could go back the five ball ghost against players on a bar table. Like, okay, I'm going to, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get a five ball run and I'll I'll just, I guess I'll bet on the ghost and hope that you dog it. And if you don't, I guess I'm eliminated. Yeah. And that's kind of how it felt to me was like every one of those matches I played pretty well. And every one of those matches, you know, I'm just basically betting, hoping that my opponents dog it. And it was all the play was up to whether or not they dogged or whether they played well. And if they played halfway decent, then they'd beat me and I'd be like, oh, good shooting. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't really good for me. So yeah. again, that may not apply. Those last two things I talked about with like the intimidation factor evaporating and, and how the skill gaps that people think are there in large part are psychological and that they go away and are, and become unfair once those handicaps are in play. Uh, and, and, and so that what it comes out, what it comes down to is where it feels like a back in the ghost against people on a bar table. Yeah. Again, and, and match after match and hoping that a series of people choke to me and it's like, yeah, not much fun. Yeah. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. What else do you got? Any, any comments on that? Oh, no, I, the only thing I'd say about my experience out there is that I, I felt similar, but they kept talking. It's like, I just, I felt like it was like a poker tournament where I just ran good because people made mistakes. You know, it's like, I was in the same very, like I was giving up less weight, which was good, but I still felt like there was times in that tournament, many, many times where I'm just like, well, there's five balls on the table. Let's see what they do. And a lot, most, a lot of times they didn't, they didn't get it done. So. And yeah. so, and so then I hear people thinking, well, you know, I mean, one of you guys got to the finals and that's how handicaps work. And what do you want to just win everyone? So let me talk to you people. No, that's not what I want. I don't want to win everyone. So, and the fact that if, if anybody out there is thinking, well, that's, I mean, you you shouldn't just be staying in local tournaments and robbing the same thing. Yeah. That's why I don't really play local tournaments. And that was actually the first tournament I've played in the Midwest. You know, I mean, I've years. It's, much, yeah. yeah. I could, I could count. Like I, I basically don't play pool in Minnesota anymore. I mean, I think that that's a pretty safe statement. I think I've, played one mini event in the last several years and it's like yeah I don't play in my home state which is different than when I grew up you know I would I would have thought like when I grew up the top players were kind of revered and they were afforded opportunities to win tournaments and that people looked up to them and respected them and 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 it was okay if some money flowed up to the top players uh because people wanted to you know take their own shot at getting there someday and so there was a hierarchy and there was some upward mobility of money and there was a payoff for achieving a certain, you know, breakthroughs and success. And I think that that all gets dismantled when, you know, cause now there is no upward mobility of money and there's not a lot of respect for the top local players because people can turn on YouTube and watch filler. And they're just like, yeah, I mean, you're only a seven ten or whatever, seven thirty or seven twenty or whatever. It's like, yeah, I mean, I watch people that are really good and you're not that good. And, you know, so it's, it's just, it's different. It was just fine. 
that's fine. But it's, so then to answer the people about, well, then if you're not, you know, maybe you should just shouldn't play those events. Like, you're right. That's why I don't. That's why I play open pro tournaments. And that's if, if people want to say that's where I belong. Hey, I'm happy. I'm honored to be there. Uh, when I was younger, I could win money locally and then go spend that to go take shots at yeah. pro tournaments. Yeah. And so there was something about like a career path where players could kind of, you know, aspiring professionals could make money locally and then it could help them spread their wings. So I am a little concerned about like how, how it makes it more difficult for people. You know, if we want to see the U S do well on the international scene, um, having opportunities for aspiring professionals to make money can't hurt, but, but nobody cares about that. Nobody really, I mean, people care about themselves and their own pool halls and their own journey. So we'll keep coming back to that. So none of that is really my biggest argument. So here I save, I save what really matters to me for the end, which is I pool is very important to me. There's something profoundly deep about pool and that the things that you were talking about, like your experiences with pool and how they would have been different. Had you, um, had you grown up, maybe had you grown up in a handicap environment. I, I have learned a lot from pool. Pool has been one of the most meaningful things in my life. It's, and it's been a constant throughout my life. And a lot of the success I've had in life is because of how I've been, how pool has shaped me. And one of the things that, that happens in pool is there's a, there is a curve. And by, by, on my website, it says input equals output. It's the first words on my website, you know, and there is a curve in pool of how much input you have to put in and how much output you get out. So input could be things like hard work, hours, years, months, and years. It can be adversity, losses, you know, failures, negative emotional storms, you know, personal, personal emotional battles. It can be getting out of your comfort zone and dealing with, you know, pressure and anxiety and fear. So that's all. And it could just be grinding, you know, just doing stuff you don't really want to have to do because you want to achieve your goals. So like that's input. And then you've got output. And output can take many different forms. Output could be a win. It could be a high run. It could be progress at a certain skill. It could be winning money. It could be having people pay you a compliment. It could be, you know, beating a player you haven't beat before. Those are examples of output. And so in the beginning, you could put in a little bit of input and receive a lot of output. And, and what I mean by that is if you've only been playing pool for a few days, well, if you practiced every day for a week for like a couple hours a day, you will be a different player in a week than you were on day one. Mm -hmm. You just won't even be the same. And, 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 and so you get your progress improved so quickly in the beginning. There's a learning curve. And that learning curve is like you just, you get better super, super, super fast in the beginning. And then as you get down that journey, the, you know, so the first, the first couple months are like a rocket ship of improvement. And then, the, 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 then there's like three to five years where it's fast improvement. And then little by little by little, that gets tougher and tougher and tougher. I guess that, you know, I'm looking, I'm picturing a graph where it's like a, 
oh, not a parabolic curve, but like a hyperbola. Is that what they are? Like sideways where it, like it's going to approach, but never hit a certain number. Anyway, it's like it gets flatter and flatter. Or, or to think of it easier, it's like it's like if you're trying to pick fruit from a tree. In the beginning, you just shake the branches and fruit falls. And then you just reach up and pluck fruit off the lower branches. And pretty soon you're climbing higher and higher and higher. And the amount of work per fruit gets very, very difficult. Um, except if only it was as easy as climbing a tree. It's, it's more of an Everest expedition. But the point is, I'm getting carried away here. The point is, that's... That that's how the curve works. And to me, there is a reason for that. And, and this is where I might lose some of you because it's almost, I don't want to, I don't, I, I hate to go here, but it's almost a spiritual purpose, which is like, it was almost as if pool was there to teach me something. And it was there to teach me that the game is not about output that the game is about input. And so almost like, almost like if, um, let's just say if God was trying to train me to, to put in the right work with the right state of mind. And the way it trained, the way that God's going to train me on this one is, is that in the beginning, like a, like a, like an owner training a dog, it's going to give me little treats when I do the right thing to teach me what the right thing to do is. Oh, you're practicing. Oh, see, you're getting better. See that? Oh, you, you're putting some work. Oh, here, you beat a guy that you couldn't have beat last week. Isn't that nice? It's almost like you get lots of rewards in the beginning to teach you the right path. And then as the path gets more difficult, the rewards are less, or become more intermittent. And it's almost like there comes a point when it, you get good enough and you work hard enough to where it's almost like the rewards stop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. because because even though I will, I can't say like nothing. Like I just had a pretty good session today where I I hit dead stroke and I did something kind of cool on the pool table today that makes me feel good. But like, ain't nobody gonna read about it on AZ Billiards. Mm-hmm. I didn't win any money for it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was just a personal positive experience on the pool table that lasted about an hour. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So it's like. If that's if that's a reward, and that's like as much of a reward as I've gotten in the last couple of months, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's like I'm like I don't I don't win anymore. I don't get to win because I I don't get to play locally for reasons I've just discussed. And when I play nationally, I I don't win. So I don't win tournaments. I don't win money. Um, I don't really like. There's really no output, I don't, and it's hard to see progress. It's really 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 painstakingly hard to actually see anything change in my game. So it's like there's very little output and positive like x you know and there's very little external reward for anything i do but that's okay because i learned i was i was taught i figured out that pool's not about output and i was taught that pool was is not about output it's about input and i had to be encouraged to put an input in the beginning in the beginning i was an input i was an output addict in the beginning, I was an output addict and I just wanted my output. I wanted my output. I wanted my output. So I guess I'll put an input. How much more input do I have to do to get my output? And I, but then that's how one of the ways I've grown and one of the ways I've matured is because this is one of the things Pool has done for me is it's taught me that I was an output addict and I was a junkie and that I had a very immature mindset and that I learned that Pool is about input. And I started developing a mature relationship with Pool and I kind of grew up a little bit and I started appreciating the beauty of putting in input and challenging yourself to put in more input. And, and then as a result of that, I guess I've been weaned off output where I don't really, I don't really care. And when I do experience output, 
it's so few and far between that the amount of input I had to get to get there, it makes the output feel absurdly trivial. And I'm not addicted to it, so I don't really care. So I can enjoy it once in a while and be like, oh, that was nice. I had a high run or I had a good day or I, that was a nice set against so-and-so. That was fun. But like at this point, I guess what I would say is pool forced me to, to, to overcome my output addiction and kind of mature and find a, a more meaningful purpose and relationship with the game. And, and to me, that's what pool that it was like, you couldn't, if you were, if you created the world and every, and how we, the game worked and the learning curve, you couldn't have set it up any better. The natural learning curve couldn't have been almost like earth is like the only planet that can support life. Cause we have an atmosphere and water and the right distance from the sun and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's like, it's a miracle pool is a miracle. It's set up perfectly for somebody to be shown the right path, encouraged down that path, and then encouraged to grow and mature. And it's like somewhere along the lines, people said, yeah, but we really like output though. So we're going to be like the dog that says, no, I hear what you're saying is that you're going to give me treats and tell me to sit. And then you're going to stop giving me treats. How about I just attack you and take the box of biscuits? (laughs) That's, that is how it feels to me. It's like, people are like, we're going to hack the output vending game here because we really want our output. And so this whole growing, maturing and developing a relationship with the input and all that. Yeah, no, let's just give output away. We're just going to give everyone output. And we're going to demand output as players. It, like as, you know, it, yeah, players are is, all demanding output. That's what the market is demanding. Kind of. Yeah. And it's, and it's to me, that's why I would rather not have any pool because to me it is, I, I, I can't, I probably got to fall short of explaining how it actually feels to me. It, it's, it would be, it's it takes the beauty of the journey away from the game it's it's horrifying to me yeah that's it it's horrifying to me and i just i look at it and i'm like i just it, it it i can understand the allure but just like anything else it's like you could fill in you know pick five or ten of the most deadly vices that we know you know people can overindulge in different areas of their life and it's like yeah it it's like let's just eat ice cream every meal let's just Let's just, Cotton you know, candy. let's yeah. just have a big orgy. Let's just go and gamble away all kinds of money. Let's just, let's just do every, let's just shoot up. Let's just do everything. Let's just, you know, it's like, yeah, that's, I don't know, man. I, that's how, that's how it feels. And that's why, you know what? I've never liked Las Vegas. I hate tournaments in Las I don't like Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Las Vegas, I feel dirty just being in that city because it's like everything that's sad and tragic about mankind. Indulgent and everything, you know. every kind of, kind of gross indulgence about human nature is like packed into one city and, and, and celebrated. It's like, it's like the lobby of hell. It's how it feels. And in the middle of that lobby, there's the devil giving everyone their handicap. All right. That's all. <laughs> did, I, did I come on too strong? <laughs> that was good, man. That was okay, awesome. So that's how I feel. That's awesome. What do you think about all that? No, that's, I, that's why I love you, dummy. Cause, <laughs> cause you're a passionate guy and you, uh, you have a lot of, uh, you know, you just have such, you have, you have ideas that are, that are not for everybody, but they're awesome. They're awesome. With, with all due respect. With all due respect. Yeah, exactly. Um, Nate's going to kick me off the podcast. Uh-huh. I, I mean, he's going to, you know what? Maybe controversy. Isn't like every, any publicity. That's, any publicity. Publicity. That's right. Okay. So you got to come up with a title about how to, how to piss all over handicaps in the title. Oh my gosh. So, okay. Then this is where our club that we're working on is going to be really cool. I feel like handicap tournaments and to a much, much, much lesser extent, 
bar table pool. I don't bar tables like on a one to a hundred of handicaps or a hundred bar tables are like, you know, 10, 20. It's like, it's, I, I like nine foots, but I understand that bar tables have a place. Like I can understand the place for bar tables, especially among amateurs and league players and mm-hmm. uh, totally fine, like totally fine. So, but for me, I look at like handicap bar table events as like the opium dens of output. And what we're going to do with our club is it's going to be like a rehab of input. It's going to be like a temple of input. And so, yeah, people that come and play in our club, you know, it's going to be a private club and people that want to be members of our club. uh, We're going to have, you know, nine foot diamonds and we're going to be doing, we're going to develop a culture of input where we're going to be doing training and we're going to be doing, you know, a lot of cool skill building and clinics and, and lessons and, and, and sparring and, and, you know, hard work. We're going to be doing hard work, man. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so for people that want to be part of that club, if they then want to go and play in local tournaments and, and, and use those Shoot skills. Up and do their drugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's fine. I'm totally fine because honestly it's fine. And I, and, and they're, because they're at a different stage in their journey that I am in mine. And so they should go out and, and carve up some of these tournaments and see some progress and yeah, stuff like come that. Come in sharp in their claws and go out. And, and frankly, I, I hope that they do, you know, watch their Fargo shoot up 50 points and go, buzzed you know bulldoze through their division with their spots or whatever and then and then uh and then i i hope that they get moved up to the point where by the time that their journey ends as far as their handicap road you know as they go as far as that road to take them by the time they get further down that road i want to accelerate them down that road and also have shown them the correct way to approach pool to where once they start seeing some of the darker side and some of the you know once they get downstream a little bit and they realize it's not necessarily where they want to live um, I hope to have already helped give them a ground, a foundation that, in, in terms of attitudes of work ethic and direction to, to carry them further so they can, I just want to see everybody, this game gets more and more beautiful the deeper you go. And so I'm just like, I'm, when I look at the table, I see, you know, the, the way I see the table and the, you know, the way I'm able to play, it's not, it's not the best of the world, but man, I just, it's, it's pretty cool. And I just, I want to share it with everybody that wants to see it. That's it. That's awesome. Cool. So, well, that's, oh, okay. So then, uh, so was now it, I'm going to hit yeah. you with a listener question that I wanted to save till the end. We'll, we'll, we'll get off the handicaps. So now I'm going to hit you with a listener question. You ready? Yep. Yep. Let's see. I've had something rolling around my mind that I wondered might be a good topic. Are there ways to objectively measure progress outside of Fargo rate or league win percentage? for the average amateur player. So if you're trying to measure your progress, you can look at Fargo rate, you can look at your wins and losses in your league matches, but is there a better way to measure your pool progress? So here's what he says. As a basis, you should know that I'm a big walk softly and carry a big statistic kind of guy. So he's a statistics guy. So if he's not careful, he could find himself looking at his Fargo rate, even when he hasn't played for several days. Uh, Those numbers that don't move around that much. So and, and he doesn't feel like Fargo rate tells him in real time all the truth because they can fluctuate due to things out of his control. So bottom line, he know I, I'm skipping some of this. I know I'm getting better. My collection of failures has yielded me, has yielded me more frequent tournament success. My caches and tournaments are up. The reason I think the only objective data I have isn't telling the whole truth is that they're generated mostly in league play. And league play... It's kind of wacky. And then he kind of goes on to explain that he can, he can have wins and losses 
due to luck, due to his opponents, due to other things. Bottom line, I guess he's saying, is there a way to track, to measure? What's the, what are some new ways of measuring your progress? So what are your thoughts? What are, what are ways? Yeah, I have a, progress? I have a way that I did it <laughs> <laughs> and it worked great. Like I played a certain number of ghost balls and I played thousands of racks basically. And I just tracked and saw how I was doing versus how I did against the ghost. And then, yeah. And then I, and then, so it was like, I did that for months and then I could see in a, you know, I, you, when you play that many games against the ghost, you, you really start to see how against a specific number of balls, ghost or whatever, you can really see how you're doing. Like to me, you can, you can see, like I had a really good experience doing that because I was able to see my performance on a daily basis. And, and so your performance can fluctuate up and down based on how you're feeling and just randomness, whatever. But in general, I could see, you know, the number of games that I was losing go down, you know? And so, and then I was able to do like one day I, I rate, I did a hundred games and I tracked and, and I looked over the course of those sets and was able to see that that number was, was, was lower, you know? So it's like, so I was able to go through this process of seeing daily, weekly feedback based on the, the ghost. And then, putting a pressure day in there where I was playing, you know, hundred games and, and really feeling like, well, this is like, I'm giving myself a full sample. So it's like statistics. Like I'm not a stats guy. So I, uh, I'm just not that I'm more, like I said, I'm more of a feely guy, but, but that is one way that I was statistically able to look at my numbers daily, weekly, monthly over the course of six months. So. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting. Um, and then input versus output, Demi. I'm yes. sorry, just no, to no, finish me, it out. Me, please. I, I, I had my garage and I had my table in my garage and I literally had hash marks. And so after six months, I just had a wall full of hash marks on this board. And so I'd be able to look at all the input I put in playing that many games. And then I never really questioned whether I was getting good or not because it would be impossible for me to play that many games and, and to care deeply you know, about that process and to not get better at the And game. that's where I was, okay, so now you're speaking my language. The only, I, 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 I was, you know, uh, fly on the wall when you went through your, your ghost volume, and, and that was a great thing to do. Um, the, the thing about it is what you just said speaks to me. So what I told this gentleman, because I've talked to him since then, is I, this has to do with the same thing. The reason I held this off at the end is the same idea about, are we focusing on input or output here? And, and what he's basically saying is, I want to measure my progress because I enjoy seeing progress. That is a form of output. Mm -hmm. Seeing progress is a form of output. So what he's basically saying is pool has a lot of fluctuation and pool has a lot of variance as far as like your opponents can get lucky or you could have a bad day. And so I can't always tell if I'm getting better for every practice session I put in. So how can I set it up to where I can visibly see every single positive improvement at all times? So that I could get continue, and what I basically explained to him is like, basically, you're asking for constant output. You're asking to be continuously pat on the back for doing a good job. Yeah. And so part of what I was, I kind of explained all this to him, and I'm like, 
it's kind of like going to the church and saying every, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I want to believe in God, but can you just perform miracles for me each day just to kind of make sure I keep believing? It's like, yeah, that's not really how faith works, you know? And so, and I'm just using that as an example. So it's like faith, you have to have part of the, part of the challenge of pool is you have to have faith that if you are doing the right things and you are on the right road, you have to have faith. And then you have to, and you have to measure on input, not on output. And that there might be stretches where you don't see a ton of output in the form of, you're not always going to, like, if you play straight pool, and, and so this is where it gets tough, right, is that as you get better and better, it's going to be harder and harder to set high runs. And so if, if the only thing that you celebrate is high runs and visible progress, then you're going to be, like, really resentful of how much work you have to put in and how little visible progress you get. And so the answer is not to find a way to, to force more visible progress. The answer is letting go of that and, and being more measuring yourself more on input. And so I don't measure myself on visible progress. Like Josh says, I measure myself by the sweat at the end of the day, the hashtags, whether it's, you know, whether it's the hash, hash marks, yeah. hash marks or the hash hashtags, <laughs> whether it's the hash marks on the wall or however you do it, you know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, and I have my own ways and we've talked about practice and stuff. We can talk about it again if people are interested, but the bottom line is I have learned so by, okay, so the good news, this is what I was saying. This is, it was built, pool progress was built perfectly. In the beginning, you see progress very, very rapidly. And then right around the time that you, progress starts becoming more difficult to see, you should have been playing long enough by now to understand the types of things that you did to develop those skills. So you know what it meant to put in some hard sessions. You know what it meant to spend time working on certain things. And, and so now, now it's your job to do that without always getting a pat on the back and visible rewards and visible output. And so that's what I do. And uh, that's, you know, Josh was just kind of saying that is that in the beginning, you know, he saw, he saw improvement. And then if you were to do it again and run the same thousand games again, you might not see a huge lift. You know, it's tough. It's tough to, it, it, I wish it was as easy as just every time you play a thousand racks against the ghost, you're going to get a half a ball better. It's just, if it was that easy, we'd all be better of course. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's a pretty tough game. And so, so the, but the point is, is that, but you know, but you know that if you're doing that, that it's on the right path. And you don't necessarily know if it's going to be, you're going to have your next half ball breakthrough is going to be in a hundred racks or a hundred thousand racks. You don't know, but you know what the path is. Mm-hmm. So now focus on the hash. Browns. Hash browns. Just focus on the hash, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so just focus on the hash. So that's it. So that's what I kind of told them is I was like, we have to, we have to measure ourselves. Don't, Instead of measuring ourselves and indulging on, on output, measure yourself on input. Now, you always, in the long run, of course, you have to challenge the types of input you're putting in. And output is how we stay accountable. You know, the, the result goals are how we keep our process goals, you know, stay accountable for use, doing the right process goals and all that. But that's another conversation. But I'm assuming that, assuming that everybody, let's just assume for a minute that everybody knows what they should do. So... If you don't know what you should do, that's a different conversation. But assuming you know what you should do, measure yourself on doing it. And I actually had a couple of conversations with some younger guys that were uh, about, I, I feel like a lot of young kids go through burnout when they're getting better and better and better. I coach a couple of 14-year-olds that are actually both in Pennsylvania right now playing in the uh, VNEA Nationals. So good luck to uh, good luck to Hank the Tank and Ed Vondrell. So, uh, but anyway, the... Um, what I told them too is it's like in the beginning, they see improvement, improvement, improvement. 
and what happens is when the road starts getting tougher and starts becoming tougher for them to see improvement, improvement, improvement is when they can start re- getting burned out and feeling like, man, I'm burned out. It's just too hard. And the reason they feel burned out is because they're addicted to output and they're not getting, and it's getting harder and harder to get output. So they're like, man, and I'm not saying they're burned out. I'm just saying it's, it's easy for someone to get burned out because burnout is a sign that you're kind of like focusing on output and it's getting discouraging how hard you have to work to get more output. And the answer is really easy, which is let go of it and just enjoy the work, enjoy the work. And if you need to get a pedal assist. <laughs> exactly. That's all I got, man. It's good stuff. So yeah, if anybody has any questions that they would like uh, ranted about wildly for an hour on the podcast, send them at info at mnpoolbootcamp.com. <laughs> Uh, and this is our last podcast and we're, not, we're happy <laughs> it was a good run it was man. a good run and we're, yeah thank you for listening yeah and then uh is there anything else like miscellaneous i've had some uh, uh no i think i think we're good do you have anything anything closing thoughts no we're good man so thanks, all right thanks for sharing your thoughts Tim. oh you too josh thanks for uh being here so all right and we're